It's time for JT the Brick. The Raiders need a wake-up call right now. If you don't progress and get better, they will cut you or trade you. You don't throw the ball out of bounds when you're down eight. There is no excuse for that. Everybody knows that my philosophy is to play faster. Don't huddle up when you don't need to huddle up. Make the play simpler. Run simpler plays and run them faster. Run them until you're blue in the face and don't leave practice until the janitor says we're closing the lights out. You guys got to go home. We're going to run it. We're going to run it. We're going to run it. Give the ball to Devontae, Jacoby, and Hunter and Michael Mayer. I don't care who the sixth receiver is. GT the Brick. Too many people are getting comfortable. Smarter, faster, more explosive players who are disruptors. Everything that you could read that was negative and wasn't positive in this game, I gave you in the first five minutes of the show, and I do it five days a week on my radio show. There's no sugarcoating here. You're a Raider fan. Act like it. Get behind the team. And now, uh oh, here's JT the Brick. Back out of the gate, hour number two on the flagship of the Silver and Black. This is Raider Nation Radio, and I'm live on YouTube. Something we've done, and we think it's catching on well. We want people to go to YouTube, uh, JT the Brick YT. Come on, everybody's on YouTube. You're listening to the show. Subscribe and share, and let's get more Raider fans in here. Again, we're trying to build this thing slowly. So, a year or two from now, when we really turn on the camera, in a different type of studio, and we're doing it, and it's ripping. You're going to say, man, I was one of the first to be on that YouTube page. Thanks to the loyal crew that is there right now as we're talking about Masters of the Air on Apple TV. The Academy Awards are coming up. Every year I do a podcast with the young film critic, Lights Camera Jackson, on the Academy Awards. That's coming up wherever you download your podcast, JT and Looney. I uh, had a good weekend. So Friday we had a rugby interview. With the CEO of the National Rugby League, he liked it so much, he called me and asked me to help do the player interviews Thursday night on Fremont Street. As Australian rugby's in town, they're playing at Allegiant Stadium. I just got off the text with Jeff Motley over at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. We're going to get some NASCAR drivers on this week. Excited about that. It's a good weekend of sports here. Let me tell you what I would do, because I'm doing this. This is exactly what I'm doing. Saturday, I'm going to Allegiant Stadium for rugby. It's going to be epic. It's beer, it's cold beer, it's rugby, it's physical, it's great. And these are real professional teams, and the games count in the standings back in Australia. So it's going to be good. And then Sunday, head on out to NASCAR at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway, which I've been doing for decades, and I like that. like to see NASCAR. I like the noise. I like the tailgating. I like the fun of NASCAR. So you got two big events, international, national events here in town. So that's a good weekend here overall. I like good weekends in Vegas, and we're going to knock that out. We have a lot of the crew that's out at Indy. Q's there, Vinny Bonsignor. We're going to have them both on this week. Q's grinding as always. He's out there doing it, and Vinny is obviously, as an insider and a writer, he's out there also. Levi Edwards, maybe Eddie Pascal. We'll try to get everybody on here and get the vibe for what the Raiders need to do. We're also talking about court storming. A Duke player got injured as fans from Wake Forest ran out on the court. There was, there was definite contact, definite contact, and a player got injured. How do you stop it? I just think you have to tell the, the fans that you can't do it immediately following the game. you got to give us 10 seconds. And if the fans can't wait 10 seconds, then you do what you got to do with the fans. If the fans can't wait 10 seconds and they're going to try to break through a security guard, the security guard should hold that fan up and remove him from the building. I don't arrest people. I don't like arresting people. Unless the people there are throwing punches and violent. But if they're just trying to get on the court and a security guard's able to push them back off the court, I don't want anybody to get arrested. 
And Jay Billis is out there talking about arresting people. Really, Jay? Jay's a really good analyst and an attorney. Talking about arresting kids in college for coming on the court? No, you arrest kids if they do bodily damage and harm. So for UNLV, look, it would be like UNLV playing a top five team and UNLV is not ranked in the top 25. They're playing at the Thomas and Mack. They win. Or, look, it's not going to happen here, but UNLV needs to get – they have to win the conference tournament to get to the tournament. If UNLV makes it to the final of the conference tournament here in the Mountain West and they storm court after the game and Kevin Kruger's lifted up and they're taking him to the national tournament and he's going into the NCAA tournament, I'm all for that. I don't think it'll be violent. I don't think Kevin Kruger or any of his players will get hurt. But all it takes is one player to get hurt, and then that could really change everything. Uh, Joe Lisi coming up on this topic and also the playoff in college football and the draft. He's one of the draft insiders that we're going to have on coming up here, which I'm excited to talk to him. I mentioned Vegas Golden Knights. They're not playing well. They look tired. They're injured. They look uninspired. Hopefully this road trip wakes them up. Also, minor league baseball, to me, is spring training. Uh, My sister's at the Yankee game today with my brother-in-law sending me pictures. I've never been a spring training guy. I love going to see AAA ball across the street from my house. My wife and I walk to the ballpark over there in downtown Summerlin. Love that. But I'm not a guy that likes to sit through spring training. Never been my thing. Because I never lived, Bobby, in a spring training city. You know, I've lived in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Vegas, so big league weekend's kind of fun overall, but I don't like to go sit there through. I don't. I look. I make a living doing NFL games during the preseason. I like that because you get a chance to see it. But I, I'm not a huge. I know you watch a lot of Red Sox and yeah. spring training because it keeps you up. To, and you play fantasy baseball, so you want to watch these guys play. Oh, of course. But I mean, for me, I'm right now March. It's hockey season. It's getting to be college uh, March Madness mm-hmm. coming up. Yeah. I'm not so much on the. Um, preseason stuff but you know one thing i know a lot of people from here that go down to arizona yes and they'll go watch a few games down there because it's relatively yeah. cheap and it's a quick trip down yes you're right about it's that like my, a little day trip or yeah whatever. my son's a junior at arizona state and he's got a bunch of walking distance from campus minor uh spring training games that he's able to go through so uh for the raiders if you missed the first hour some people for lunch listen to the first second you podcast it I appreciate that. Uh, what do the Raiders have to do at quarterback? Uh, that's the focus of the combine with Tom Telesco and what they're going to be able to do and how they're going to – all they're, all they're going to be able to do at the combine because a couple of the good quarterbacks are not going to throw. Jaden Daniels is not throwing. Caleb Williams is not going to be throwing. His interview, these quarterbacks. JoJo Wooden has been named senior director of player personnel for the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders tweeted that out two hours ago. We uh, welcome JoJo to the Silver and Black. Hopefully we get him on the radio here and talk about his vision with Tom Telesco and what, the, what they're able to do and how they're going to be able to prove this. Uh, I think that Russell Wilson is an option. Peter King came on radio today. Peter King retired today from writing columns. Quick story on Peter King. So I've been lucky to inter- – I've, I've interviewed Peter King 50 times throughout my career. He's harder to get to now, but every year when he showed up in Napa – at Raiders training camp, and in Napa, you're walking around with shorts on, you're in the lobby, and I'd see Peter. And Peter would pull me aside and knew what I was doing with the Raiders, and he'd give me about five minutes. What an honor for me. Hey, man, tell me about this guy. Tell me about this. What do you think about the season? And I'd see Peter at a winery, or I'd see Peter at the hotel. What a gentleman. What an outstanding gentleman Peter King has been 
So he retires from writing today. So when I got up today and I saw the news, I called Looney, my podcast partner, and we talk, we talk every day for about 10 or 15 minutes. And I said, is this the death of journalism when Peter King doesn't have a job? No one's hiring him to write. Ooh. You go to college for journalism? What are you going to have to do when you get out? You have to write about politics, sports, the economy. And I, and I was, was talking to Tom Looney about it. We started to say, kids in their 20s and their teens don't read anymore long form. Everything's on a reel. Everything's a Stephen A. clip of 22 seconds of Stephen A. raising his voice, and I love him, on sports. What about the history of the sports writer like Peter King? Now, I consume and read The Athletic with Vic Tafer, Deshaun Reed. I read everything Vinny puts out. Everything Vinny puts out, I read. But I'm in my 50s. I'm talking about kids in their teens and 20s. When was the last time you saw a kid in your household or anywhere at a coffee shop or whatever with a newspaper open? <laughs> no. News, a newspaper. I said it right, a newspaper. You know, I used to love to get the newspaper, and I still get the review journal on my driveway every day because I like to read the newspaper. And I read 10 sports pages a day as prep, and I just get used to it. And I have them tabbed online, and I read it. But one of the interesting things about Peter King is Sports Illustrated went under. Oh, my God. Sports Illustrated went under. I remember waiting for my Sports Illustrated to come, and when it came, I would read it. Then I would grab my mom's scissors, and I'd cut the pictures out and put the pictures on my wall when I was a kid. And I learned everything about athletes and behind the scenes. And I don't think Peter King is retiring because he can't get a job. Like Peter King could go to the athletic and be the number one guy. But it's not as easy anymore. It really isn't as easy to find content. Apple launched a new app that I downloaded. It sucks. So Apple's got this big thing. They got this new sports app. So I downloaded it and it's just previewing hockey games and telling me what time a hockey game's on. I deleted it already. What I look at is Yahoo Sports number one. I like Yahoo Sports number one for their news. And then secondly, I read ESPN.com during the show. I have it here in front of me. And then I have my handheld device, my phone, as I'm showing everybody here, on the live feed. And, you know, there's about five or six people that I have bookmarked that when they put something out, Shams or Woj in the NBA, or someone puts out something, it comes alerted to my phone, and I read it there as soon as I can. But I wanted to spend a few minutes in this monologue. Oh, and then someone here, Tony says in the YouTube feed, used to love USA Today. So did I. I remember walking into airports and walking around the airports looking for someone who left their USA Today sports page and read it there, man. We're not talking about stuff 100 years ago, everybody. We're talking about five years ago, 10 years ago, people would read newspapers. Now they don't anymore. So I wanted to touch on Peter King because of the memories that I've had with him at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I've seen him at parties that I've emceed. I've turned around and there's Peter King. You're like, wow, Peter gets it. One of the great journalists and good guys who are out there, and he'll do fine things and do a lot of great things. But the newspapers, we have a great sports page in town here. We have a fantastic sports page here in town, the Las Vegas Review-Journal. And I used to read the Sporting Green up in San Francisco all the time. When I was in the Bay Area, I loved the Sporting Green and would read that too. But uh, those days are gone, man. And I just appreciate that you listen to me for 10 minutes or two hours or Today, five hours I'm on the air. It's, it's very humbling that we have an audience here and we're trying to grow it.
not only on the flagship, but especially on the YouTube feed. So that's what we got. Joe Lisi will join us next. Go for the two. Brandon Cristal from the Combine on Russell Wilson. What's the deal with Russell Wilson? Will he play for the Raiders on the veteran minimum? Oh, my God. Basically, would he play for free for the Raiders or Pittsburgh? Who are the teams that are going to target him? We'll get into that as we continue on. Brought to you by the 872 Laborers, led by Tommy White. Faking the handoff to Jones, throwing left side, it's complete. And into the end zone, the first Trojan touchdown of the season, Jordan Addison. The Trojans drive 75 yards of their first possession and take a 6-0 lead. And it's Caleb Williams. What a player he is. I think he's a generational talent. I put him at the level of Andrew Luck and Patrick Mahomes coming out of college. So I think he's a can't miss. And if you don't think so, okay, then you're going to be way out on a limb. If you think Caleb Williams is going to be a bust, you're going to be way out there. Uh, I think he's going to be too expensive for the Raiders to get, but it's a possibility. If the Raiders want to give up three first-round picks to get Caleb Williams, they could do it. Will another team want to give up three first-round picks? We'll ask Joe Lisi, who's kind enough to join us from Go for the Two. Joe does a great job on Sports Grid. You can catch him there. Joe, good to talk to you, my friend. I want to jump in. What happened the other day with the Dukies and the court storming? How'd you see it? Yeah, amazing, right? They lose that ball game, JT. Always a pleasure. And it's unfortunate. We saw the situation with Caitlin Clark on the women's side. We saw it where a player, Duke, trying to get off the field, hits a fan. The, both of them go down. There's potential injuries. It's unfortunate. Now, I, I want the court storming to be in effect on both college football and college basketball because of the emotions. That's what really transpire in the sport. That's really what the sport is known for, the ebbs and flows and the upsets. But at the same time, I think the schools, the home courts need to take into account getting these visiting teams off the court first and then allowing the, the fans to potentially storm it afterwards. Joe, that's what we said. I'm happy you said that. We didn't talk before this. That's what they have to do. The culture of court storming needs to change where you're allowed to do it, but you just got to wait 20 or 30 seconds. If they don't understand that, then we have a really big problem. Maybe if the announcement is made, give us 20 or 30 seconds to get the team off the court, then come out on the court. I don't see a big deal there. That, to me, seems to be the solution. Yeah, absolutely. And you're also talking about the referees as well that sometimes are caught into the mix. These are older people, not younger as well, like the players. So if they get, let's say, trampled or potentially knocked down, you're talking about potential broken bones, maybe some type of health type of issues occurring. And then the school is ultimately responsible in terms of that type of situation. So it needs to be done. I agree 100%. Now, I don't think it needs to be done in terms of what we saw at Vanderbilt, the a couple of years ago, JT, where they knock off Florida and they orderly went down one by one and stormed the court. You could get a, a little more emotional than that, but something needs to be done. Joe Lisi, good friend of the show, joins me from SportsGrid. All right, Joe, what do you think of this college football playoff format, the five and the seven? And you know this as good as anybody. The top four seeds where a Notre Dame can't be a top four seed, even if they're the number two, three team in America. 
Yep, and that's the downfall for Notre Dame not being attached to a potential conference, even though they typically play six ACC schools. This is what they wanted. And at the end of the day, JT, I think that you have to take the Power Five or the conference champions over potentially Notre Dame because they are playing the extra game. And we'll see how it plays out. Now with the dissolution of the Pac-12, right now it's very important for these teams to jockey for position. I've talked about it, you know, in previous years, You've had maybe, let's say, anywhere from 8 to 10 to 12 schools that potentially can challenge for a national championship according to the odds. This year, JT, it's, it's expanded. A good 25 to, like, 35 now have an opportunity where a school like Ole Miss, a school like Oregon, maybe they don't win a, a, a championship, but they're 10-2 and two overall, 11-1, and one, and they get a good matchup as it relates to the, the playoff or the tournament type of c- scenario. They're going to be in there, and that's where the value is. I think it's great for college football. Joe Lisi is our guest. So, Joe, let's stay with the SEC and knowing that one team is going to come in with the SEC every year and be the one seed. Probably no, they won't drop farther than the second or the third. Give me an example with this format of 12 on maybe three SEC teams or four possibly and maybe two from the Big Ten, and what do we got from the Big 12? How do you see it playing out overall? How many teams can get in from one conference? Well, it all depends. I think that you hit the nail on the head in terms of the SEC. Look, obviously, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Ole Miss is a sleeping giant in terms of Jackson Dart and what Lane Kiffin has done, not just in terms of recruiting, but in terms of the transfer portal. They got bolstered on the offense and defensive lines. They are going to be a juggernaut, and you saw what happened to them on in terms of New Year's Day where they totally just manhandled Penn State, a very good Penn State defense they ran all over them, they're going to be in the mix. So that, those are the teams. I, I think outside maybe Tennessee with their new quarterback can compete. Big Ten, I think you look at Oregon, Ohio State respectively, Michigan I think will be there, Penn State maybe. That's the biggest question mark for the Big Ten right now is can Penn State elevate from the offensive side of the ball? We know Drew Allen comes back, but can James Franklin evolve that offense where they're not one-dimensional, where if they need to throw, they can win ball games and I'll say this about the Big 12 the Big 12 is wide open JT but there is a team that potentially could be a sleeping giant because they got former Arkansas quarterback KJ Jefferson UCF and Gus Malzahn have a win total of seven and a half one of the easiest schedules in my opinion in college football keep an eye out for them this year Joe Lisi from Sports Grid my guest All right, so I want to talk about two teams. My son's Oklahoma, as they go to the SEC, what type of gauntlet are they going to have to run into? And USC, and Lincoln Riley, who's, I don't think, doing a great job, and he loses Caleb as the number one draft pick, most likely. How does USC look in year one in the Big Ten? Well, Miller Moss is, is the quarterback through six touchdowns in terms of the ball game. They have a win total of seven and a half. You have to go back to the early days of Clay Hilton to look at that win total in terms of the transition for the Big Ten. So I think it's going to be difficult, but they need to evolve on the defensive side of the ball. Hopefully they could do that. If I had a bet right now in regards to that situation, I think they can be an eight or a nine win football team expecting USC in year one of the Big Ten to come in and 
challenge the likes of Oregon and more importantly, Ohio State respectively and Michigan, I think is very difficult. Oklahoma can make the transition because they did it on the defensive side of the ball. They evolved obviously offensively with Dylan Gabriel. He moves on, but they have a wealth of offensive talent, but it's what Brett Venables did on the defensive side of the ball this year that I think can carry to the SEC. I think they'll be maybe a 9 or a 10 win football team, but we have to see how it plays out in terms of the quarterback this year. Joe Lisi, as we wrap it up. So, Joe, I'm fascinated. You you really study the draft as good as anybody. I think the top three quarterbacks, Caleb one, Drake May two, Jaden Daniels three. I think that Caleb demands three first-round draft picks. If you're Washington, you want to go two to one. Any team that wants to go get Caleb Williams from Chicago, three first-round picks. And I think May and Jaden Daniels are two. I don't know J.J. McCarthy as well as you. I saw Bo Nix play Penix in the Pac-12 final championship game. Walk me through these five or six quarterbacks and how much a team will have to give up to go get them. I agree with you about Caleb because of the the intangibles. He has that Pat Mahomes type of game where he can extend plays with his arms. I think the one thing, JT, that you look at Caleb a little bit is obviously the game where he lost against Notre Dame, three interceptions, was constantly pressured, made poor decisions, and tailed off a little bit in terms of productivity at the end of the regular season. But in terms of that number one project, he's deserving of the overall selection. I think when you look at Drake Men, and Jaden Daniels, it's a no-brainer for me. I have Jaden Daniels right there with Caleb Williams as 1 and 1A. I think Jaden Daniels potentially has the type of value if a, a team falls in love with him where they can maybe reach up and potentially trade and make this you know, uh, monumental you know, wave in regards to taking him over Caleb Williams. I can make that assessment for Jaden Daniels because you look at the big matchups on the schedule, Ole Miss, Miss State, Florida, Alabama, he absolutely played his best. The ball placement in terms of deep throws is second to none, and that includes Caleb Williams. He has a touch that I think translates to the next level. I do not like Drake May, as a lot of other people do. Here's another thing, and you tell me. Mitch Trubisky went to North Carolina. Sam Howell, good quarterbacks, not elite. And, and if you're Washington sitting second overall, are you going to potentially pull the tra- trigger on Drake May, who's tailed off and back? back-to-back years, and that's going to be your quarterback of the future when you're staring Jaden Daniels right in your face. I don't think Washington could do that. Potentially New England maybe, but I don't see it in terms of the number two selection. I think it is Jaden Daniels. J.J. McCarthy has the type of talent to be a first-round selection. He needs the running game to get going. He's a quarterback that just progressed when the running game was successful. J.J. McCarthy was never asked to carry games out with his own even though they won the ball game against Alabama, he had his best performance. It was because of Blake Corum in the offensive line. I think he's a late first-round selection, and I like Penix over Bo Nix, but I think all six of those, five or six of those quarterbacks will be taken potentially in the first round. God, how good is Joe Lisi? Go for the two, follow him. He's a must-follow. Finally, Marvin Harrison, Jr., I mean, I think better on paper than Larry Fitzgerald and some Hall of Fame receivers coming out of college. We'll see what happens. We know what his dad did. How far does he drop? Because I think the Patriots need a quarterback, but I think the Patriots also love this kid and could have a generational wide receiver and worry about quarterback next. Totally. 
totally agree, and here's the only assessment that I go down to, and we know that this happens in draft time. We saw potentially with Jam- uh, Jamar Chase, right? He was taken fifth overall. I think Harrison taken fifth in that area. Five to ten is not a problem, but we saw Kyle Pitts go fourth overall when Atlanta at that particular time had the worst pass defense in all of the NFL, and they opted for a hybrid type of wide receiver tight end, was a thousand-yard receiver, and then look at his productivity after that. Not suggesting Marvin Harrison would do that, but in terms of the second or third overall pick, does the does the value warrant the money? That is the problem, I think. I think so. If you're looking Marvin Harrison, and he is on paper, I agree with you, physically the best wide receiver in the draft, although I don't think Neighbors is that far behind. I think Neighbors can be unbelievable with the right scheme, just like Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, but I would have Marvin Harrison anywhere from five to eight in terms of that selection because he is a wide receiver and taking the wide receiver two or three overall to me wouldn't warrant the money. Yeah, Roma Dunze who played here at Bishop Gorman. I watched him play in high school and what a year he had at Washington. Joe Outstanding, continued success. You're kicking ass. Appreciate you joining me. Anytime, JT. Love the show. Great seeing you out in Vegas. Thanks, Joe. Joe Lisi, really good. Check him out on Sports Grid. So we go from Joe Lisi. Let me go live to Indianapolis, where my buddy Brandon Cristal's on the ground, covers the Broncos, covers the Combine over the years, and you're excited to be there. You like the grind of the Combine. Tell me about it. What are you looking forward to? Well, JT, the stuff I look forward to, I think, is uh, always seems a little silly because it really is just hanging out late night in hotel lobby bars or, you know, the steakhouses that turn more into an after an after dinner kind of spot, just kind of getting to know people and talking mm-hmm. to them off the record. Agents, you know, lots of former players that are now coaches, young coaches that, you know, the next Sean McVay <laughs> might be a quality control kid and you're just standing next to him, you know, at a table or at a bar and in eight years he's an NFL head coach at 30. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's less about, for me, the prospects. Like all that work is going to get done and this is a pretty exciting quarterback class similar to last year, maybe more so with, Caleb Williams at the top, but um, and I apologize, I'm in the actual airport here, but uh, just that stuff gets sorted out, and a lot of people think it's a lot of pomp and circumstances. It's really a TV show, and that's what it's turned into for the NFL Network, which is why they put it in primetime for a while. They're finally letting not only fans in, but media get to go watch the workouts, but to me, all of that kind of gets, gets done on its own. It's more about, hey, where is Russell Wilson going to end up? What is Sean Payton really thinking, or what are people hearing that the Broncos are looking to potentially do at quarterback beyond just hearing that, oh, Sean Payton really likes J.J. McCarthy? People can say that. We don't know if it's true yet. <laughs> Brandon Cristal joins us. So the reason I wanted to have you on, we were texting earlier today, and Peter King announces retirement from you know the Monday morning quarterback. He's still going to be great. We both know him well. But then I feel like you know a lot about Russell Wilson. And Peter King earlier today on radio said he would be perfect. Use the word perfect in Pittsburgh because of the veteran minimum. Now, knowing what Denver owes him, the $39 million guaranteed, and that Denver would have to pay the difference in what he makes, how motivated is Russ to stick it to the Broncos and pretty much play for free in any market that'll have him? Yeah, I think I think he'll be really motivated. You know, if you caught any of the interview he did with former Broncos wide receiver Brandon Marshall on his I Am Athlete pod, he says he wants to win two more Super Bowls in the next five years. And there's like a couple places he can do it. I saw where Jeff Schwartz 
you know, who now works at, at Sirius uh, with you from time to time, said, what is he going to do? Go be Mahomes' backup with the Chiefs, which is a fun joke. But I, I'm 100% with you. I thought Pittsburgh was the right fit before they hired Arthur Smith. And bringing Arthur Smith in makes even more sense. And I think you can get creative with these contracts that I think with incentives don't necessarily count against the original contract. I'll ask some folks here this mm-hmm. week, but if you say, oh, a million dollars if they win the division, a million, or half a million, half a million if they make the playoffs, half a million for each playoff win, half a million. So you can then incentivize a $1.2 or $1.8 million, whatever the minimum is, mm-hmm. and make it look prettier to Russ, knowing he's still getting all that money from, from the Broncos. But I, I think that he's going to be motivated – and I, I think, look, he and Sierra have a great family. They've got four kids now. They've got a great place in San Diego. That's where they're going to end up. So people want to say, oh, well, she's from Atlanta, so they should go to Atlanta, where Las Vegas is close to L.A. I think Sierra knows she can get her work done whenever she's doing any of her entertainment stuff on her own. And, yes, flying from Pittsburgh to L.A. is not even flying Pittsburgh to New York is, right? Mm-hmm. And so with Mike Tomlin, those receivers, those two running backs, and that defense and that culture – Pittsburgh seems almost too good to be true. If I'm Russell Wilson and his agent, I'm, I'm spending as much time as I can trying to figure out how to go there, especially with Arthur Smith running that offense, and I think it would be tailor-made for, for Russ. Brandon Cristal's in Indianapolis covering the combine for KOA in Denver, kind enough to join us. So how good was he last year when I, when I looked at his quarterback rating, seventh, and the fact that basically – Everybody knew he wasn't going to be there. Sean didn't want him there long-term. And look, Sean's got a chip. He won a Super Bowl. If he wants to make such a bold move and do that, I don't think Denver's got a plan in place at 12 picking to get the next Russell Wilson. But again, I respect the coach for driving Russell Wilson out of there. And Wilson had a decent year. You covered every game. He's still young in the prime of his career. How much does Russ have left? Well, when he says he wants to win two in five years, it makes me think that five years, right? That he'll he'll be north of forty. That's that's how long the contract extension that he signed mm-hmm. would have gone. It was a, basically a seven-year new deal, but with the two years in Denver and then five added on to it. And so, in his mind, I think he wants to play until right around forty. And he takes tremendous care of himself. And the the thing about this year, right? When you look at what the Broncos' options are, Russ finished. You mentioned seventh in pass rating. Also fourth in touchdown passes. Yeah. And so I can understand that Sean wants to get a guy that can run his offense the way he wants it. But with what they were able to do, even if that didn't mean running it a little bit more at times or being a little more conservative with the play calling, they still were right there, had that good stretch in the middle. We know how bad their start was. And they were knocking on the door of, of the playoffs, certainly playoff contention, until they had that terrible loss to the Patriots on Christmas Eve. So I think Russ has plenty in the tank. I think I think he's motivated in general. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's the extra motivated to stick it to the Broncos. Not that he won't love to play them if they come up on a schedule, but I don't think he's going to sign with the Raiders to stick it to the Broncos kind of thing. If the Raiders make the most sense for him, then maybe he goes to the Raiders. But to, to me, uh, I'd go to the team that has the most ready-made roster mm-hmm. and the right pieces in place. And, and with what Mike Tomlin has established there with that franchise, even in a really tough division, uh, I, I still think you have – I mean, they made, they made the, uh, the playoff push anyway, right? Uh, yeah. I think that you have to you have to consider consider Pittsburgh or your best option. But I, I think we'll see a good version of Russ, especially if they help craft the offense around him versus kind of square peg round hole in it, uh, like it was I think more so with John than with with Hackett. Kirk Cousins missed his final nine games for a torn Achilles. Aaron Rodgers teared his Achilles. Russell Wilson didn't. He's in unbelievable shape. He's been a legend in this league, and he's available possibly for the veteran minimum, which 
is mind-blowing to me. Hey, finally, I know you're going to be covering the quarterbacks as you just got to Indianapolis. Jaden Daniels isn't going to throw. Caleb's not going to throw until their pro day. You know, there's six quarterbacks there. J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix, definitely Penix Jr., but Jaden Daniels, I think, is the third to Drake May, the second to Caleb. How important is it going to be for you to get in front of the podium and hear these guys speak considering they're not going to be throwing? This is a big opportunity. Only a few of them on the back end are going to throw from what I'm hearing. Yeah, and and I think that how they handle those situations matter uh, as much as the throwing, right? Mm. Even though this isn't throwing at their pro day where it's already choreographed, we've seen enough of those guys on the football field to know what they can do and maybe what they need to get better at, right? I I heard Bo Nix is really good except for when things break down, and Mm. and I thought, well, that's a a lot of quarterbacks, right? Everybody's good when the pocket's clean and guys are open, Uh, but I, I think that I remember going back to that 2018 draft. Sam Darnold was asked, do you think you can turn around the, the Browns if you go number one? And, and I was standing right there, and he goes, I don't know. I've never turned an NFL franchise around. And Baker Mayfield was asked it a half hour later, and he said, hell yeah, I know I can. It didn't you know, ultimately work out for Baker, but you want to hear that in that setting. And it wasn't like Sam Darnold played at some small program that didn't have coverage, right? Mm-hmm. He was the quarterback at USC. So I think that those moments are really critical. And then the meetings with the teams, you know, we saw where Athletes First, the huge agency, and, and Andrew Rosenhaus' agency were following – that they're not going to have their players, or they're going to tell them they shouldn't do the cognitive test because it got out. I think that that's going to be fascinating to kind of track which players are sitting down to do the cognitive mm-hmm. testing that the teams want to put you through. Because the lower you are on the draft board, the more willing you are to do stuff, right? If they want to see you in a different position, if they want to, if they want to try something else or make you go through a battery of tests. So uh, it's going to be kind of – all of that stuff to me is more interesting than the on-field workout. I know that it's a TV show, like I said, but mm-hmm. the other stuff – and getting to know these guys is, I think, the most important for these teams. Have a good time in Indianapolis. Thanks for making time for us. I know you love being at the Combine, and uh, we'll be looking for your work online. Appreciate you, buddy. Thanks as always, JT. Talk to you soon. Brandon Cristal, uh, the first of many that we'll talk to. Hopefully, we're planning on talking to a bunch of insiders. I had him on today because I think the Russell Wilson story's big. I think the Russell Wilson story's big because Peter King said he's perfect for Pittsburgh. Why wouldn't he say he's perfect for Vegas? He says he's perfect for Pittsburgh. Does he mean that Pittsburgh's a better franchise than the Raiders? Probably. Probably what Peter King thinks. That that that's a team that could get to the playoffs with Russell Wilson. I don't know what Peter said per se or what he was thinking. I know what he said. I heard the soundbite. But again, I'm only interested in Russell Wilson at the veteran minimum. And if the, if the Raiders had Russell Wilson for almost nothing. That, to me, would be a Christmas present like we've never seen. If it cost a lot of money, I would never say that. I didn't expect Jimmy Garoppolo to be the quarterback in the offseason. Raiders paid him a lot of money. Jimmy helps us out on the back end with the suspension for the PEDs so we don't have to pay him. That's water under the bridge. And the last, Brian Hoyer was not a, not a good decision. Brian Hoyer was not a good decision. And I I was not perfect on that decision in Chicago. I thought in Chicago, let him play. That was a mistake. Should have been Aiden O'Connell. But there's been a lot of mistakes at the quarterback position. Other than drafting Aiden O'Connell, which was a very good value pick, I told you as I was anchoring the draft, that the Raiders took Aiden O'Connell because they knew Denver was going to take him. He like he The Raiders knew that Aiden O'Connell was going off the board in the fourth round. That's why they didn't wait for this fifth or sixth round. Uh, Dave Ziegler, former GM, just landed with New Orleans in an advisory role for the next couple of weeks heading into the draft. So Dave Ziegler, interesting where Derek Carr is. Uh, 
and that was part of the decision to bench Derek Carr. But I got a lot of respect for Dave. I think Dave's sharp. He's young. I think he's made some good decisions in his career. He got, he's got three Super Bowl rings in his safe. So Dave knows what he's doing, and he ends up with New Orleans. Interesting what's going on there with John Gruden as he consults there. Dave Ziegler. What's good? Derek Carr's there. Man, a very cross-pollinization of Raiders to New Orleans as of late there. Thanks again. We appreciate our last two guests. We did them back-to-back, a belly-to-belly. Joe Lisi and Brandon Cristal opens up a line for you. If you want to get through, 702-365-9200. The Bengals made their first big decision of the offseason. They just franchise tagged T. Higgins. T. Higgins is franchise tagged. So that's pretty cool because they have a window here with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase that they got to. they, they They would not make the playoffs without T. Higgins. You can't lose them. Higgins will be restricted to a one-year deal with the club worth $21.816 million, which is the league-wide franchise tag for wide receivers in 2024. The deadline for teams to use the franchise tag or the transition tag is March 5th. So that's one of the topics here. We're all assuming that the Raiders have one player to tag. They won't tag Josh Jacobs. So I don't expect any tags from the Raiders. Higgins, a second-round draft pick in 2020, was set to enter free agency after his rookie contract had expired. I looked at his numbers. He caught 257, 257 passes, 3,684 yards, and 24 touchdowns. In seven postseason games, he has 31 receptions, 457 yards, and three touchdowns. He's played in. Oh, seven postseason games. We'd like Devontae to play in postseason games here, everybody. We'd like Max Crosby to play in the playoffs. T. Higgins has played in seven playoff games. He's pretty important there. They can't afford to lose him. That's one player that if you think you're going to go back because Joe Burrow was injured and you want to go back next year to the AFC Championship, you have to have T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. So their offense will be set again for another year. We'll wrap it up on the other side if you want to get through. Also, I'd talk to baseball play-by-play voice Tim Neverett yesterday about the Dodgers and Otani. We won't play the interview, but a couple of sound bites from that conversation. A spring training baseball is underway. Congratulations to Peter King, who retired today as a sports writer. I'm sure he'll do more. And a couple more storylines before I get out of here. I'm on Sirius XM tonight. Channel 82 from 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific time. The one-two, swung on and missed strike three. The Dodgers win it 11-2. And now their magic number over the Diamondbacks is five. And over the Giants, it is four. JT back with you, Dodgers Radio. A couple of sound bites from Tim Neverick coming up. One thing I didn't hit on, Cam Newton. What a great player he was. A legendary college Heisman Trophy winner and a good career at Carolina. He got into a brawl. At a seven-on-seven football tournament, Atlanta went viral on social media. And I guess there were a couple of guys there saying stuff. And this is pretty interesting. If you haven't seen it, just uh, search Cam Newton. He found himself involved in an intense brawl that occurred during an event he put on for his foundation at a seven-on-seven tournament. 
videos of the fighter circulating throughout the internet, which shows a couple of guys shoving Cam Newton around before they run off into an area with trees. Cam landed some big shots. One angle of the brawl shows Cam Newton standing in the middle of a group of guys who jumped him, resulting in him trying to hold them back for his own protection. Look, Cam Newton's a big, strong dude. Another guy wearing a white T-shirt is seen coming up to Newton, throwing a punch, which seems to make contact with someone, although it's hard to tell if he caught Newton or another individual nearby. Uh, Cam Newton was able to hold the group off until police showed up to take control of the situation. If you didn't get a chance to see this video, uh, go take a look at it. Many people shared it. Cam Newton's a really big guy. And (laughs) uh, Emmanuel Acho, former NFL linebacker, said, quote, Cam makes NFL linebackers look small. So why in the world would you, a mere mortal, ever think of fighting camp? It's not a good idea. Cam Newton's a really bizarre player, man. Really unique guy, man. He's still young. I don't know why he wasn't able to. He played a little bit with the Patriots at times well. His arm just fell apart. He threw so many footballs as a kid through college, and in the pros, he just didn't have the arm anymore. That happens. You just don't have the arm strength because – what a great running quarterback he was and how physical he was. Tim Neverett, voice of the Dodgers, joined me yesterday. And I asked him about Otani coming over as a Dodger and what Tim thought about this massive media coverage. Dave Roberts was just speaking about this. He was asked some questions about what you're asking. Uh, you know, what's it going to be like traveling with Otani and, you know, going to Korea? And do you feel pressure to have him play over there? Do you feel you know, what, what are you feeling? How are you managing all of this? And he said, well, the ball club is, is taking great steps uh, in preparation for all the travel with him. Uh, I can tell you this. We travel. This is the pre-Otani era. The Dodgers travel with multiple security personnel, okay, no matter what city we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, the fans probably don't notice. We know them, so we know they're there. Uh, but there's going to be even a, a, a much greater presence this year, Um because of the, the, the great interest in, in Dodger baseball. And, and, and I think what it does is it creates a greater interest in baseball, period. Uh, you know, when you look at the interest in, in baseball in Japan, um, it's, it's enormous, right? I mean, think about this. He's hitting home runs in batting practice. That's front-page news in Tokyo, mm-hmm. right? I mean, these are batting practice home runs. They don't mean anything, but... It's, it's news there. The, the, the following of baseball in Japan is so huge. And now, with both Yamamoto here, who, who has been one of the best players in Japan for the last several years, and, and of course, Otani being the best player in the world, uh, you know, the Dodgers following in Asia and around the world is just going to grow exponentially. Yeah, Tim, his son, does some play-by-play work here in town for the AAA A's, and it's a good story. Tim's a good guy. We go, one of the first guys I ever met, as a broadcaster, was Tim Neverett, Dave Koken, Steve Cofield, all the guys. Uh, Piggy, Mike Response, we all work together at Sports Fan Radio Network. And Tim has gone on to be the voice of the Pirates, the voice of the Red Sox, now the voice of the Dodgers, to be the voice of the Dodgers with Otani. Now, remember, T- Otani's not going to pitch this year. I would rather have Aaron Judge than Otani as a hitter. Let me say that again. I'll take Judge over Otani, but Judge can't pitch. Well, Tani can't pitch this year. Here's what Tim Neverett had to say about him sitting out a year as a pitcher. Yeah, I mean, it's already determined he's not going to pitch, although he will he will be on a return-to-pitch program this year. Mm-hmm. He will be throwing 
you know, earlier in the day. He's even going to probably throw down here in Arizona some. But and we're not talking about bullpens. I'm just talking about throwing, getting back yeah. to the throwing motion. Um, but as far as the, the hitting is concerned, remember, he's a right-handed pitcher and a left-handed hitter. So as a left-handed hitter, his right hand is his pull hand on the bat. It's a different set of um, – or, or a different part of the anatomy that helps you hit mm-hmm. and, and helps you pitch. You know, the ulnar collateral ligament, uh, which is on the inside of the elbow, that's the one that, you know, if it's injured, that's the Tommy John situation. And he's got a, you know, fairly sizable scar on that right elbow. But he, he, you, you can recover and hit way faster from that surgery than yeah. putting the uh, enormous stress that goes on your pitching hand and your pitching arm. Uh, then, you know, so hitting is, I guess, hitting is easier in terms of the motion than pitching is. Pitching just creates all kinds of stress on the body. Uh, whereas hitting, you know, yeah, there is some stress, but not nearly what it takes. You're using your whole body to hit, you know, where you're at the weight transfer and your hips snapping around and your shoulders squaring up, those types of things. Where in, in pitching, yeah, you do use your, your lower half to push off the mound, but you really snap that arm. And that's why there's so many pitching injuries as opposed to mm-hmm. uh, guys getting, getting hurt when they're swinging the bat. All right, so it's interesting there with Otani and what's going to happen there. It's just it's fascinating to me about how you can have an injury. You can have an injury and not pitch, but you can hit. It's fascinating to me that you can do something, you can injure yourself, but still play. Just like we predicted, Bobby, when we put the show together, uh, Raider T tweets at me, uh, not sure, but if Plunkett was a big of a blank teammate is what Real- Russell Wilson is said to be, See, so I got people now because we're having guests on who talks about Russell Wilson, maybe to the Steelers, possibly to the Raiders, fans who never met Russell Wilson, never played football, saying Russell Wilson's a bad teammate. This is what I have, this is what I have to deal with. This is my job. I have to deal with people who don't know professional athletes, never met him, never got an autograph, never took a selfie saying he's a blank on my Twitter feed and he's a bad teammate. Sure. Sure. Good way to work me up as I get out of here. Four to seven on Sirius XM. Q's on deck from Indy. And hopefully we'll get Q on this week for a hit here along with Eddie Pascal. And Vinny's going to join us. And we want to get the vibe of Indianapolis at the Combine where the Raiders are there to make some noise. Make some noise. Thanks to our guest, Joe Lisi, Brandon Cristal, who jumped in. Big show lined up tomorrow. Brad Spielberger. From the Combine, a couple other guests that we're working on. We could talk Vegas Gold, the Knights this week, rugby, and NASCAR. Busy week of sports here in Sin City. Have a great day, everyone. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys.